we interrupt this program to bring you Courage the Cowardly Dog Show, starring Courage the Cowardly Dog! You're listening to That's Pretty Dark. The podcast where we talk about all of the entertainment that scared us as children and still haunts us as adults. So grab your flashlight and join us as we take a frightfully nostalgic look over our shoulders and under our beds and in our closets. And together we'll realize, well, that's pretty that's dark. Pretty dark. <laughs> I just watched Soylent Green. Yeah. I'm so mad at myself because this movie was made like in the 70s, mm-hmm. but it's set in the year 2022. Gross. And I just watched it like this past week and I'm so mad at myself because I missed it. I missed an amazing opportunity by like one year. I could have watched it for the first time a year ago. Like right. During the year that it- For 365 days that was in 2022. Yes. And I just missed, totally missed my chance. You don't feel like you were close enough? No. No, I blew it. I totally blew it. Like a lot of I feel like if I would still call it a win if I was this close. It could have been made last year, which is the crazy thing because the whole opening sequence is all these shots of like overcrowding in cities, global warming, people in masks everywhere. Like it it almost looked like it kind of was about to predict the future. Uh, wild stuff. Well, yeah, that's where we are, unfortunately, right now. Yeah. I saw a tweet that was like, you can use your N95 mask from the pandemic to guard yourself against the smoke from the wildfires. Oh, yeah. And that's an apocalyptic sentence I never <laughs> thought I'd have to say. And on that note, welcome to That's Pretty Dark, everybody. My name's Christian. My name's Kaylin. Glad to have y'all. So today we're not here to discuss uh, climate change necessarily. It might come up. Today we are here to discuss it might come up. episode two of season one of Courage the Cowardly Dog. That's right. Which is The Shadow of Courage. Slash Lequack. Dr. Lequack, amnesia specialist. Amnesia specialist. I love this episode. I started on these notes prior to our conversation with David and Jody, and I think they really helped me look at this whole show through new eyes. Totally differently, yeah. It's it's really exciting because it's proof positive that it can be healing just to understand these topics a little better than our baby brains could when Mm -hmm. we were first, you know, (laughs) watching them. (laughs) Yeah. I, I don't know, like, it's the whole concept of our podcast proven because I was way more empowered going back into researching for this episode after, you know, having conversations with them. It's like when your therapist explains to you why your brain perceived something a certain way or like how the trauma. And you're like, oh, that makes sense. Oh, that makes so much sense on a scientific level. And it's kind of like pulling the curtain back and getting a glimpse of the wizard, Mm. the all-powerful Wizard of Oz. the great and powerful Wizard of Oz. And once you see that, it just changes your perspective. And I think that is kind of what it did for me. So Mm -hmm. hopefully it did the same thing for you, listener, and you're ready to dive in with us. Let's shrink that fear, baby. Yeah. Yeah. And on that note... The Shadow of Courage and The Quack supposedly aired on November 19th, 1999. That's what my research tells me. And just like episode one, both parts of episode two were written by John Dilworth and Irvin S. Bauer and directed by the man, the myth, the dill, the dilly. <laughs> the man, the worth, the dill. <laughs> <laughs> the worth. Uh, if you're watching or rewatching along with us and you're watching on HBO Max, they think it was the first episode of the series, but we know it wasn't. So, ha. Right. Ha. <laughs> We're at least one step ahead of that. And it is interesting, though, looking back that the first episode, the two segments, neither of those were set at the farmhouse. Yeah. 
That is odd. You're right. They did something else before going to uh, the, you know, back to the farm. Strange. There are elements of this episode that make it make sense as an episode one. It yeah. establishes a lot of things. Yeah, it checks out better. So there, but. I mean, maybe, I, I don't know. According to the air dates, it's not. But I get why they would put it first now that they're able to. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. So first up, we have a Shadow of Courage summary from IMDb. Yeah. Let's hear it. When an evil, rich old man suffers a heart attack, his shadow escapes from him. The evil shadow descends on the farm, terrorizing our happy threesome. A happy threesome? Yeah, they called them a happy threesome. I would question that. <laughs> but yeah. Whatever you say. Maybe we don't know any better yet because this quite is happy. in their mind the first episode. Who writes these things? Not I. But, but did you, though? But like, did you write? Not this time. Your, oh, I didn't okay. write one right. this time. That's fine. Yeah, I just left it that because I figured. It's fine. I feel as though this scene by scene breakdown speaks for itself. And it really shows us where Courage's head is for the whole series. Is this payback for me not doing a summary for Brave Little Toaster? Yes, it okay. is. It definitely is. Right. You, I, you didn't do one. So I thought, hey, why am I beating <laughs> myself up? I don't have to do one if Christian didn't. Um, <laughs> yeah, I am. Totally I am the role model for everyone. That's right. I am the standard. You're the Regina George of this podcast. Congratulations. Um, we wear black every day, so... And you can sit with us. We're both wearing black right now. Yeah, kind that's of. kind of a dark blue. My shorts were black once upon a time. <laughs> they're faded. <laughs> yeah, they're a nice light gray these days. <laughs> so we open on a hunchback old man, very Scrooge-like in his robe and his slippers. Mm-hmm. And he's in this telescopic looking wing of his mansion. And this dude was actually never given a name, so we will call him Moneybags. Moneybags, I um, like that. Not to be confused with uh, Christian Money Pants from a few episodes back. <laughs> he... I was about to say, <laughs> I was about to try to make a joke about how, like, one day I'll be no name Mr. Moneybags, but I am already Christian Money Pants, so. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Uh, he was voiced by Peter Fernandez, who is probably most popular for his roles in the anime Speed Racer in 1967, though he did have an extensive radio career, according to his bio, which is very interesting. I loved Speed Racer. Yeah. I never understood it, but I liked it. <laughs> who did, really? It's a world where all they do is race cars. <laughs> wow. Weird. But he appears on Courage several more times in roles like Benton Tarantella, who is Famous, famous Courage villain. Yeah. Um, and Robot Randy. And he also served as voice director on this episode. So that's pretty cool. Oh, wow. All right. And in his mansion, Moneybags is conferring with his butler, Jennings, who is voiced by Jennings. Simon Preble, who we know also voices the computer. That's right. And at this moment in my research, I spiraled into why do we call butlers Jennings and Jeeves? And where did that come from? And why do they all have the same name? <laughs> why are they all British? And yeah, why are they all British? So I looked it up on TV Tropes. <laughs> Heck yeah. Because I was just, I, I realized that pretty much every single kids show or sitcom of the time in the 90s, et cetera, yeah. referenced a butler with, if not the same exact name, definitely the same countenance, the same presence, right? Mm-hmm. Very stoic. Poised and- Improper. You know, available, <laughs> ready to assist. So TV Tropes said- uh, the Jeeves is the perfect British butler, valet, or manservant, always well-dressed, unfailingly polite, and devoted to his employer, and usually much smarter or more level-headed than his employer, too. Mm-hmm. Usually, he can subtly manipulate him, and you will only know him by his last name. Jennings. So the canonical example of this butler is Jeeves himself from the Jeeves and Wooster short stories and novels of P.G. Wodehouse 
and the Jeeves and Wooster TV series that were based on those, which I've never seen, but clearly a lot of people that wrote TV for kids in the 90s yeah. had seen <laughs> or had had read. They're all referencing. I've never even heard of this. Um, me neither. But this was a British series that was running from 1990 to 1993. That late. Huh? And I'm sure depending on how old you are, you're like, yeah, duh, that's where it came from. We know that. But I, I didn't know the origin Mm-mm. until I looked it up in this research. I think fewer people know that than you'd think. Maybe. I just assume people that are older than me know everything, but clearly that's not always right. <laughs> they um, don't. It also calls to mind the Igor, Peter Laurie vibe that we were just talking about with the Brave Little Toaster. Yeah. Just that ready and willing manservant. The good and faithful servant. Yeah. The good and faithful servant. Mm. The original Jeeves, um, just for the record, uh, TV trope said, is a valet, not a butler. That is, he's a personal manservant, not a chief of domestic staff. Right. As a bachelor living in a flat, Wooster didn't have the kind of staff to warrant a butler. I guess a butler is really the chief of staff. Right. <laughs> TV tropes also said, though all that said, if the call comes, Reginald Jeeves can buttle. Buttle. Because a, a butler buttles. Sure. With the best of them. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I learned that from um, Clue. Ah, yes. <laughs> he's like, I'm the butler. He's like, oh, what do you do? I buttle, sir. I buttle. (laughs) (laughs) Got to cover Clue one of these days. We will. We talk about Clue pretty much. It comes up a lot because we we reference it. Buttle, sir. Ah, the moon looks good enough to buy, Jennings. What a nice addition it would make to my collection. Yes, indeed, sir. But some things are just not for sale. Everything is for sale, Jennings. Even people. Yes, sir. Even people. Which, gross. Yeah. Pretty heavy. Don't like those implications, and it's also hammering home that age-old biblical and not always espoused in biblical circles principle that the love of money is the root of all evil. Hmm. Watch The Way Down. Watch Shiny Happy People. Ah. And there are other things that I think I could add in there now, but greed is obviously rather repulsive. It's almost like they tell you that you don't need money so that they can keep keep all of it for themselves. Yeah. Kind of rough. As Jeeves, I mean Jennings, goes to leave, he says You that should he know knows. that after 50 years with me. And another thing, Jennings, you're fired. You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> so 50 years down the drain, money bags, for no reason years, at all. I think Jennings is like, I don't know, 40? I know. Tops. He doesn't seem to be even old enough to have had a 50-year career with this man. But maybe, that's, maybe that's his point of saying, I bought you as a child. Maybe like I've you were had born you into my life. service. Yeah, you've never wow. known a life beyond yeah, I don't these know. walls. I don't know. It's kind of rough. You fired. But Jennings doesn't seem to mind this this firing at all. And I wouldn't either. I do love that trope of like, you're fired. And they're like, oh, thank God. Yeah. Oh. And then they just immediately <laughs> peace out, like yeah. straight out the door. So with his evil maniacal cackle, Mr. Moneybags begins coughing. Then he falls out on the floor, conveniently obscured from our sensitive young view by a desk Mm -hmm. and he expires of a heart attack right there after proclaiming that he can't move and asking for Jennings to help him. Right. Already this is pretty dark. Mm -hmm. A shadow then springs from his body exclaiming, finally I'm free and I'm not totally clear on this and this might be something we go back and forth on throughout this episode, but is this the evil spirit that was residing in this man possessing him 
like demon possession on some level, um, which the show is no stranger to? Or is it truly just his soul that's really that evil at its core ready to wreak havoc? I don't know. It seems to be a play on the whole Peter Pan shadow thing. Mm-hmm. Like he's always chasing a shadow. It seems to be as if it's another entity, right? Not- entity apart from. But I think so too. I don't know. But that means there's a subculture of shadow entities that belong <laughs> to each person. Right. And it's attached to that person until they die. It gives a whole new meaning to shadow work, does it not? Hey. You're not even trying to just get to know yourself. You're getting to know somebody else entirely. <laughs> so I don't know. It kind of ask those uh, deep questions. Mm-hmm. I feel like it. there are moments when I would go and, and say, okay, yeah, that's money bags. And then there are moments when I'm like, no, no, this is just some other some other Mm-mm. thing. Entirely. I don't think it was him. I don't think he was evil. He just was sort of behaving, and we'll get to it, but he sort of behaves in the only way he really knew how. I guess. Which is what he learned from the evil man. Maybe. Mr. Moneybags. Yeah, maybe he was just taught that. Because, you know, in, in the end, he's just kind of like, ah, this isn't who I really am. This isn't what I want. Mm-hmm. You know? It's a learned behavior. So he he was kind of in service to the man as well mm-hmm. for his his whole life existence. It's either either everybody's shadow is that person's slave until they die, and then it's free. Or this guy was so rich and had such crazy like connections, resources, had such a mm-hmm. weird vile past that he was he got wrapped up in something once upon a time, mm-hmm. and his shadow is the only. Maybe. Sentient living shadow. That really gives him more of a backstory than he deserves, I feel like. I think I think probably, but I, I think it's either one or all. No, like, some people have sentient shadows. Yeah, and that's kind of scary when you think about it. Because if it's all, then, man, there's a lot of explaining that we're going to have to do. Man, if these shadows could talk. <laughs> <laughs> the shadow is also voiced by Peter Fernandez as well, because this shadow can. Nice. Then we cut to the glowing marquee of Merlino's famous ice cream shop, where the shadow frightens a little girl and her scoop of ice cream, which (laughs) the ice cream jumps in fear, just like she does, bless. Seemingly either scared or spurred on by one of those ominous cracks of thunder that we hear, the shadow then scurries through what looks like downtown nowhere, maybe? Mm -hmm. And off into the night. I don't think we ever see this downtown sort of setting again. Yeah, we do. Do we? Okay. I think every now and then they show a like Main Street version. it's Main Street Nowhere. I think so. What a place to travel. What a place to go. I'd like to see Main Street Nowhere. These things all kind of pop up pretty conveniently. Yeah, whenever you need them. Whenever we need them. Like the Cat's Motel. So we then see the Bag family sound asleep in bed, minus Courage, who is shaking and shivering at the foot, who's afraid of the thunder himself. Which when you see the sky, it's super clear and there's stars and the moon and there's no clouds whatsoever. but he's scared of the thunder. There's thunder and lightning regardless. So Eustace kicks him out of bed, and naturally then, Courage sees the shadow coming and alerts the bags who, for once, and I think we'll find out how many other instances there actually are where they listen to or believe him to some degree, Mm -hmm. um, listen to him, and they follow Courage downstairs with the rolling pin of doom, as TV Tropes calls it, (laughs) uh, in their hand, ready to take on the intruder. Everybody was hitting people with rolling pins back in this day. Always. They're met with silence, though, and this further angers Eustace, who banishes Courage to the attic. And as he's being carried upstairs, Courage shouts, I'm telling you there's someone here, or my name's Shirley, and it's not. <laughs> um, this I is love a that play. Joke. 
Yeah, this and it, yeah, that's a running running joke through through the series. But this is a play on a joke from the 1980 airplane. Really? Um, I didn't realize the origin of this joke either. Well, I know the Shirley. Right, and that's from Airplane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they say, "Shirley, you can't be serious. I am, and don't call me and Shirley. Don't call me Shirley." They just courage, and really, probably, you know, this in this case, um, John Dilworth and Irvin Bauer, but probably David Stephen Cohen and Into the Future of Courage. They kind of just take that and twist it, or my name's this, or my name's that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's pretty funny. Uh, the writers and directors of Airplane revealed in a Vulture article that they used to watch a lot of old, serious movies that had a lot of overly dramatic dialogue. And they'd say, wait, and stop a tape, and they'd go back and put their punchline or gag in the background of that joke. So just, or that moment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to make it a joke. Nice. So that was one of those lines where somebody actually said, Shirley, you can't be serious. And the other person probably said, I am serious, but they added, don't call me Shirley. I like that. Just adding humor to those moments of drama was how they were inspired to write things and jokes like that. Nice. Now locked in the attic alone, uh, Courage does what many of us with anxiety do and imagines the absolute worst case scenario. I know. I think he did. (laughs) He must have taught me to think in worst case scenario. I don't know that he taught me, but he definitely showed me that that was Uh, a normal thing one could do. Yeah, Um, yeah. Because I already did it, I think, and then this just reinforced it. It's that same level of, like, affirmation that he just made us feel normal. Yes, yeah, exactly. I felt very validated seeing Courage think like that. Like, oh, yeah, you do too, huh? Mm. (laughs) Because in his thoughts, Muriel is being strangled by the surly convict, clearly attempting to burgle the bags. Alliteration. Burgle the bags, not buttle the bags, but burgle. <laughs> not to buttle them, but burgle the burgling, them. Burgling, buttling, but- and then the shadow appears and roars like a monster on the wall. And I like the visual of this because it reminded me very much of our podcast logo. Hey, <laughs> right. At this, courage bursts through the door, leaving the classic cartoon courage-shaped hole in the door, and alerts his owners once again to the danger, doing the courage charades that we yes. begin to see over and over again. I love it. Now, courage. We aren't going to be doing this all night, are we? And it's very reminiscent of that time in life that we all remember when you're scared enough to wake your parents up after a nightmare or about the monster in your closet. But depending on your parents' sleep preferences, there would always be the attempt to comfort you along with this thinly veiled threat of punishment. Like, yeah, but now you're going to go to bed. (laughs) You have to sleep because I have to sleep. My parents put up with a lot. Because I was awake. I was just awake as a child. I didn't sleep much at all. Yeah. Probably for fears like this. I would do the same, but uh, I'd get in trouble. (laughs) So. So Eustace tells him that he has one more chance to act like a real dog or else he'll be sleeping with the termites. But like, what else does a real dog do but bark at everything? <laughs> sure. that That's very much and like a real dog. And alert you to like squirrels and birds and yeah, stuff. Yeah, this is what a real, and I guess he just means not being afraid, but like dogs are afraid. Every dog I've ever had has been afraid. Every cat I've ever had has been afraid. Yeah. That probably says more about me than the animals that I, I have had in my care. Feeding off your energy. Yeah. And somehow during this moment, Muriel returned to bed, and there the shadow plays tricks on her, pretending to be Eustace, strangling Courage. Right. Again with the strangling. There's a lot of strangling in this There's show. a lot of strangling. This is the most nefarious thing to me about the shadow. Yeah. He can convince you that someone else is doing something. Exactly. That they're not doing. Yes. Or something to that effect. And it's really yes. kind of- Which is a That's big when it gets problem. pretty serious. hmm And pretty dark. And pretty dark. 
So Mario bolts out of bed and comes to the rescue. And Eustace is doing his ooga booga booga scary. <laughs> you know, he is being mean, right? He, um, he is. Was being he strangling mean. the dog? No. Was he antagonizing the dog to the point that he deserved to sleep in the attic? I personally say yes. <laughs> now you sleep in the attic. What did I do? It's that same attitude that we were talking about with cats in the last episode. The gaslighting, the never believing he's in the wrong. Yeah. Or never outwardly admitting that he's in the wrong. He he genuinely just pretends like it never happened, which is the, you know, definition of gaslighting. Right. So now alone in the attic himself, Eustace is taunted by the shadow, which first appears like a rather large rabbit, sort of similar to the silhouette of the rabbits from the 1978 animated, but definitely... Not a children's film uh, that we've talked about before, Watership Down. Oh, right. Someone just asked if we've ever covered that. Yeah. I mean, we'll get there. We plan to. Yeah, we'll get there one day. I'm not even sure I can handle it at 30 years old from what I know of it, though. I don't like anything with animals where it's like serious Same. death. So once again, in this sort of telephone, he said, she said, shadow game, mm. the shadow convinces Eustace that it is in fact courage mocking him, which sets him off again and he proceeds to attack with a shadow puppet, <laughs> which was really funny. I liked it, actually. It was clever. But he incurs his own dog bite injury from his own shadow puppet. That, well, that that lends to the idea that all of, all our, of shadows our shadows have their own sentient. agenda. Because like, if he's injured by that... The shadow can do what it wants. I don't and know. And also interact with the human in some way. Unless it's just proof that this shadow is more than other shadows. Like, it can affect... It can it, hurt your shadow, which hurts it, you. I was about to say, it can hurt your own shadow. Yeah. Probably is closer to the truth yeah we've all played shadow puppets and imagine what it would be like if they could come to life and interact with the real world you know the closer the further you are from the light source the bigger the shadow puppet gets and it just envelops the whole room yeah <laughs> and this is a very realistic example of what that might actually look like uh, the closer the flashlight is the bigger it is <laughs> ladies i don't want to know what you're doing in your in your blanket forts <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> so then we have yet another scene of the shadow entering the bedroom and Courage freaking out and Eustace strangling Courage and Mariel hitting Eustace with a rolling pin. And I feel like I'm repeating myself a lot already because these abusive patterns just don't quit. It's just over and over in this episode. It's I feel like, like what they were doing is just kind of hammering home, no pun intended, that theme of... There is always going to be misunderstanding. There is always going to be contention. They're never going to be on the same page and you're never going to see them all collectively at the same time understand the threat. The lack of communication. <laughs> exactly. The inability to communicate that these three. Or to even to like have. see what's going on and reason through it. Right. Beyond your own sphere of like perception. Yeah. yeah. So then backed up. By lively fiddle music. Uh, shout out to Jody. I assume that was Jody's doing. That's gotta be. Courage hides under the kitchen sink where the shadow from the pipe morphs into a snake. And I really did enjoy how they kind of did this because we've all been the kid in the dark watching the shadows morph and change shape, hopefully only due to our overactive imaginations and not, you know, due to any sort of <laughs> real life a shadow haunting us. I do like how spirit. the rules of this episode sort of become where like he can become anything's shadow. Yes. In anyone's so that he can just sort of like take over that, take exactly. up that job. Yep. He is a shadow. So that's what he does is he right. shadows things. I like it. Yeah. And this moment in under the sink, it felt strangely like familiar to me like just the things that we think we see in the night even now you know mm -hmm. especially as a kid but even now just in the dark of night in your house or whatever the things that you think you see and it feels like they are all working against you and in this case unfortunately it was yeah 
So he's scared of these shadows morphing and changing, and Courage leaps on to Eustace for comfort, despite knowing that he's going to get strangled. Yeah. And I submit to you guys once again, that's pretty dark because we plainly see, as Courage represents the child in this scenario, that he has limited resources and he must continue to bid for comfort from his abusive father. Right. And that's a lot. When you step back and look at it, Courage has nowhere else to go but to Eustace. It's the only option he has. Exactly. Despite knowing that Eustace is threatening him. Unfortunately, I feel like far too many people probably relate to that construct. So when Courage goes down to the kitchen, he finds only Eustace's hat sitting in the glow of the moonlight from the kitchen window. Mm. And yet again, he pictures something terrible, Eustace being swallowed by the shadow monster. And he returns to Mariel's room to find her missing as well. And so he's basically telling himself to stay calm. And then we see Eustace emerge from the fridge where he's apparently hidden away. It's so Lovecraftian. Yes. With just like the scariest thing you can imagine. Like right. here's a, a tentacled monster. Yes. It's always like the worst thing you can imagine. Yep. Whatever would be really bad to have happen or to see in this moment. <laughs> that's what we're going to present to you <laughs> right now. I love it now. so much. That's just I mean, that's like, the courage way. Because what else does a shadow have at its disposal? But just frightening imagery. Exactly. Frightening concepts. Things exactly. that you can't explain. They're just yes. shapes. They're just shadow puppets. Absolutely. They can't actually do anything to you. When Eustace is coming out of the fridge, this was actually probably my favorite musical moment of the episode. What is this craziness? Am I losing my mind? No. Just my hat. Where is my hat? Because the soundtrack oh, reminds me of like a psychological horror. As yeah. if Eustace's personality is splintering and he's questioning whether or not he's losing his mind. Yeah, because he doesn't know what's going on, right? Yeah, he, they they yeah, rarely which, actually see right. what's the thing the is. The reality of the thing that Courage is seeing. If anything, it's Eustace more than Muriel, too. He's always the one that kind of eventually kind of goes, wait a minute, something weird is happening. Right. Whereas Muriel, Muriel rarely yeah. ever. She almost always is totally oblivious and Eustace is the one that will be like, Hmm, I don't like this. <laughs> yeah. At least so, especially so far in what we've seen so far. At least so far. So Courage takes this opportunity to consult computer about evil shadowy things. Come on, come <laughs> on. What do you mean evil shadows? Evil, shadowy, evil things. Search. You twit. You mean evil shadows? I don't know. What a loser. You twit. You twit. What a loser. <laughs> like, I'd forgotten how blatant it was that the computer does not like courage or want uh, to help him in any way. So disdainful. Like, Yeah. Just, I can't believe you're asking this question. I can't be bothered. So courage is meditating and waiting for computer to help him out. And the computer provides him with one result. I wouldn't want them in my house. <laughs> The number of times, though, I've been waiting on, like, my Premiere Pro to, like, <laughs> stop the spin wheel of death or, like, oh, whatever I'm trying oh, to do. This is 100% the personality of your computer. The number of computers I've had, yes. I've used in our creative endeavors since we've known each other, even exporting these episodes. Mm -hmm. Is it going to be half an hour? Is it going to be two and a half hours? I don't know how long it's going to take. <laughs> But I swear, courage, just like trying to calm down by meditating yes. while the computer does its thing. I totally, totally get I that. I thought of you, actually. That resonated so deeply of like, yeah. how like, do I stay calm in this moment? What I would prefer to do is throw the computer from the window. Out the window. Instead, I'll meditate. <laughs> Man. 
Japan. It was pretty funny. How do I get rid of evil shadows? Listener, I typed much of the same thing into my own computer. And thankfully, I was met with more results than Courage was. I was going to ask you if you typed in, like, what to do about evil shadows. Pretty much. Pretty much exactly. Help! More so, I got examples of what those shadows might be in real life. I'm excited. And we've discussed this in a couple of our Are You Afraid of the Dark episodes and previous episodes around just this sort of lore. Mm -hmm. But a number of religions, legends, and belief systems describe supernatural entities such as the shades of the underworld and various shadowy creatures have long been a staple of folklore and ghost stories. Yeah, all right. Examples of this are the Islamic jinn, which we've talked about before. Yes. And the Choctaw Nalusachito. Okay. I think it's important for us, since we've talked about the djinn before, to talk about some of this Choctaw mythology. Heck yeah. I think it's really cool. And I am deeply sorry for any failed pronunciation here. Mm. Please write in and share with us, Choctaw friends, um, Choctaw Nation folk, on what we are getting wrong. But <laughs> yes, from what I learned, the Choctaw have stories about shadow beings. The Nalusachito, also known as Impa Shaloop, Nailed it. was the soul eater. A great black being. If individuals allowed evil thoughts or depression to enter their minds, the Impashaloop would creep inside them and eat their souls. Dang. Many people of the Choctaw Nation will not say his name for fear of summoning the spirit. Wow. Mm -hmm. Mental health shaming. It kind of is. And it's also, (laughs) it's like, it's a similar idea to like what you espouse that's what you'll attract or like what you put out there that's what you'll get back yeah sort of an yeah idea. the energy you manifest except or whatever. in this case it's an actual being manifesting in the physical what you like think in the spiritual or yeah, something like basically. that basically mm-hmm. yeah. yeah but what ties this to our story a little bit better is the element of the shilambish all right bish it was believed that every man had a shilambish or an outside shadow which always followed him. Oh. And a shalup, the inside shadow or ghost, which after death goes to the land of ghosts. So you have an internal shadow and an outside external shadow. Exactly. You have two. Interesting. You have basically your ghost and your shadow, your external shadow. All right. The shilambish, the external shadow, was supposed to remain upon the earth and wander restlessly about its former home, often moaning to frighten its surviving friends. Whoa. It would try to make them forsake the place place of death i guess and seek another place to live it was also supposed to assume the form of a fox or an owl and by making those sounds screeching like the other creatures yeah it was that that sound they were supposed to make that sound it was considered ominous of bad things i'm thinking of like a whippoorwill yeah and there are references to the willow the wisp as well because there are similar choctaw legends where something is leading you towards something bad. Mm-hmm. But the Choctaw could differentiate between the Shilambish and the animals that they would imitate. When a fox barks or an owl screeches, another fox or owl tend to reply. But when the Shilambish imitates the sound of either animal, there is no response. Oh, I have heard of this. Really? Where have I heard of this before? I yeah. don't know. This was the first time I feel like I've heard yeah, it. Yeah, that's one of the things. Because like when there is no response, that's when you know it's something evil. It's fake. 
It's not real. It's imitating. It's yeah, because they know not to respond. The to animals it. know, which yeah. is real. Exactly. Ooh. This is making me think of like when humans like hear something that sounds human. Yeah. Like the one time I heard my mom call my name. Yeah. Ooh, it's the uncanny valley, but for animals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Except we can't tell a difference. Right. Well, the the Choctaw can. Well, because they they know to listen for the animals, and now you do, listener. You know that insider secret, I guess. But the shadow-like beings would often stalk children of younger adult age. That's scary as hell. So I guess <laughs> kids that were coming of age had to be especially watchful right. for this entity. That fits in so perfectly with all of our podcast lore. Jeez. Well, like we talked about before, the shadow in this episode comes directly as the soul, or at least the being haunting the soul of someone departed. Mm-hmm. Courage in the bags don't know that in the moment. To courage, it appears the way that many of our own demons do in our rooms in the dark of night. Chills. Most of us are probably also familiar with the phenomenon of sleep paralysis. Here we go. During which many people report seeing shadow people, shadows, hovering around their beds or in their rooms. Ooh, hat man. That's one of the prime examples of it. It usually or sometimes can look like they're wearing a fedora. There's the flannel man too. I've looked into this before because it has happened to me and I very much do not like it. And this seemed to be a pretty good time to chat about it on the show. I live in fear of the of the day that it happens because I say it happens to everybody at least once. You've never had it? No. Never ever? No. Oh, no. I mean, I've heard crazy things. You've definitely- I've heard things that I cannot explain. Yeah. You've had other experiences, but yeah. not the shadow people in your room, which good on you. <laughs> I've had straight up hauntings before though. Right. So I don't really know- you know, what's what? Yeah. Where's the line? I have experienced sleep paralysis. Like I'm awake, but I can't move my body. And I see, I don't know that I really have seen shadow people in that state, but I have certainly mm-hmm. been in my mind, kind of locked in my mind thinking I'm paralyzed. Right. Like I can't move. I can't, I can't, I'm trying to yell and I can feel myself like trying to yell and I can't even get out sound. Right. I would panic. For sure. Yeah, it, it has panicked me. I think I think my closest thing to it, if this can even count, is I have woken up in my own bedroom in my house completely unaware of where I am. I don't recognize my surroundings. Yeah. It takes me a few minutes to really fully become aware of like where I am. That's happened to me too. I'm looking at my room and I cannot recognize it. Yep. I can't put it in the place it's supposed to be in my head. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It freaks me out. So it's similar actually. I think it is. And listener, if you've gone through something like that, I would love to share with all of you a little bit about the scientific reasons why these things might happen to us. Oh, yeah. I love this stuff. <laughs> so I pulled some information from sleepfoundation.org. Figure they should know what they're talking about. <laughs> Somebody's got to. So explaining some of the often very frightening experiences that you can have during sleep paralysis or hallucinations, researchers have considered the role of hormones, mirror neurons, changes in breathing, and the survival centers of our brains. Yeah, yeah. There yeah. were several different categories of reasons or like contributing factors that they talked about, right? Right. So as a person is beginning to wake up, hormones like serotonin suppress REM sleep and they contribute to increased awareness of the person's surroundings. But during an episode of sleep paralysis, serotonin is released while a person is still stuck in REM sleep. So this may induce hallucinations and activate fear circuits in the brain. That makes sense. So it's kind of like a mistiming of when we're supposed to get the hormone. Right. Yeah. You're like caught in between. Yeah. 
like normally you would get the hormone and it would suppress your REM sleep. But if you get it while you're in the midst of REM sleep, there's not enough there to suppress it. So you're just getting the hormone while you're still having the REM activity in your brain. Right, right, right. REM standing for um, rapid eye movement. <laughs> not to be confused with REM, <laughs> the band. Malfunctions in parts of the brain responsible for creating an image of the body may underlie the creation of the human-like figures that we often see during hallucination or sleep paralysis. Yeah. These disturbances may also be responsible for the sexual nature of some hallucinations, which that's where like the succubus comes from. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the legends like that. Lots of people have stories of uh, sexual encounters with spirits. Exactly. Ghosts and such. Uh, also for the phantom movements and pain that sleepers may feel in their limbs. Um, um, when I was feeling like in sleep paralysis, it felt like I was moving my arms, but I was awake and my eyes were open and my arms weren't moving. Right. And that's that's absolutely what I what I felt like. So it's it's kind of like your brain always has an image of your body and we're hyper aware of other other human bodies. And that's why that's the first projection that it goes to. Because it's the thing it knows best, I guess. Yeah, it's like when we see faces in clouds yes. and trees. and Yep, very, very similar to that. Yep. Yeah, or how we see people we know in crowds or we find people we know or we look for people that we know or right. people that look similar. Um, we are really hardwired for that behavior. Man, those Where's Waldo uh, books just really tripped me out. <laughs> Honestly. Another contributing factor could be breathing changes. So when major muscles become paralyzed during REM sleep, a person's breathing normally grows really shallow. Mm -hmm. But when you become aware during this REM state, it can sometimes feel like you're suffocating or, you know, you hear stories about people having uh, an entity trying to suffocate them. Like sitting on their chest. On their chest or yeah. somebody on top of their sitting on their chest. Yeah. The weight. A yeah. lot of people describe that weight in these sorts of mm -hmm. experiences. It's very common because they can't like inhale. Exactly. And then of course, as you're experiencing these different phenomenons inside your brain and body, you know, you might realize you can't move um, despite the fact that you're awake or, you know, you're having all of these images that you're seeing that don't correlate to where you're supposed to be. And this may exacerbate all these things happening because the fear may escalate and trigger panic or fight or flight response, which can make the content of the hallucinations more more scary, yeah. basically. You you come up with scarier and scarier things because you're trying to make sense of why you feel so panicked. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to kind of, you're almost in a backwards way. You're trying to give yourself reason to be as panicked as you are. To be afraid, right. Right. The power of the human imagination. It's wild. It's just. And I don't wish it on anyone because it is not a fun thing to experience. I can say that much. Mm. But humans have been experiencing this type of phenomenon for centuries, and dozens of cultures have explanations and interpretations for this phenomenon throughout history. Um, some of the earliest writing related to sleep paralysis comes from Mesopotamia around 2400 BC, mm. and these accounts refer to Lilithu, which is a female demon, and researchers believe that it is from this early folklore that these concepts of incubus, succubus, um, and those types of entities descended. There was this one entity that they decided was responsible yeah. at this point in Mesopotamia, ancient Mesopotamia. I feel like I came across that in my um, my research for Nightly Neighbors. That would make sense, probably. Because they're so similar to like vampires, because mm -hmm. they're all, like we found before, it's all kind of the same origin. Yeah. And speaking of origins of things, there was also a creature in Europe in the Middle Ages, literally called Nightmare. That? 
Lore is fascinating. And this term referred to a supernatural entity, usually female, um, that positioned herself on top of a person's chest. And that also involved paralysis, fear, anxiety, and sometimes hallucinations of a figure. Mm -hmm. It's so crazy to me because we took that word and applied it to so many things. I'm so glad you came across that. One other entity, a Kanashibari, comes from a similar sounding word that describes the magical powers of a Buddhist deity where monks were believed to be capable of harnessing this power to paralyze others. Hmm. So they were calling on the Kanashibari to paralyze or, wow. you know, incapacitate someone else. Yeah, that sounds like dangerous business. Yeah. And it just goes to show that sometimes it really is mind over matter <laughs> because we are kind of creating these things from our own minds, not even from a fictional standpoint, at least not yet. It it kind of all descends from that. But humans have just been doing this for so long, having these experiences for so long and needing to explain them. Right. So they create the stories that explain them. Wow. Yeah. I do love that. I do love how like those kinds of folklores are created. I love how it's so common. Yeah. I love that it highlights just how connected we all are as human beings, like cultures, borders, languages, you know, all of these things that divide us when in, at our core in our biology... We are all experiencing the same nightmares. <laughs> more and more proof that none of us are ever really alone. And just like, ever. you know, sleep paralysis, like I'm saying, can happen to anyone. Lack of sleep might be even more detrimental in this whole seeing figures and hallucinations department. Freddy Krueger. Yeah. And it's honestly probably for very similar hormonal reasons. Getting, you know, these doses of hormones when we shouldn't be, basically. Mm -hmm. And to add in a bit more of an adult reference, psychiatrist Jack Potts suggests that methamphetamine usage oh. adds a conspiratorial component to sleep deprivation hallucinations. So you begin to think they're conspiring against me. You become more paranoid. You become more. Oh, like when you use meth? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's known to lead to some pretty paranoid thinking. Exactly. And and many, <laughs> many substances can. Uh, oh, um, yeah. Many, but many I don't things. like the idea of a conspiratorial component being added to no. any one of these. Explains a lot of the, like, chaos of the Nazis because they were <sighs> all taking that. Disgusting, really. Terrible to think about. But one interviewed subject said that on meth, apparently, or with, with this sort of mindset, you don't see shadow dogs or shadow birds or shadow cars. You see shadow people mm. standing in doorways, walking behind you, coming at you on the sidewalk. And these hallucinations have been directly compared to the paranormal entities described in folklore. Yeah, wow. They're imagining that these beings are present when they aren't, mm -hmm. at least as far as we know. So please, kids, don't do meth. <laughs> don't do meth. It also leads to a lot of the belief that like doing drugs opens doorways to the supernatural. Mm -hmm. Like for yourself, like you open a door in your own like spirit. Awareness. Your own psyche. Yeah. Like you, you begin to see things that seem supernatural or paranormal mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it just, it, yeah. There's, just, there's a lot to that. There. There's a lot happening in our minds that we aren't consciously aware of. And there are a lot of drugs that break down those barriers and uh, sometimes for the worse. <laughs> begins to blur a few of those lines that exactly. we keep up. A few of the walls that are there when we're like right. going about our daily lives. A lot of those walls begin to crumble and dissolve. Some of those walls shape shift. probably exist for good reason. <laughs> Turn into like we probably need them. Dolly paintings. Yeah. He's the melting clocks. Is that Dolly? Yeah, Dolly, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Like some of those things we need just to keep a handle on reality, probably. Yeah. But back to our episode. How to get rid of evil shadows. Computer tells Courage that there are a couple of steps that he can take to get rid of these evil shadows. Number one, quit meth. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what he says. That's not what he says. One, 
pleasant conversation. <laughs> Over a nice uh, dish of meth. <laughs> Number two. Move out of the house. Yeah. So these are Courage's options. Courage scoffs at this, asking how he's supposed to talk to a shadow. And the computer, with a wink, a winky smiley, <laughs> yeah. says, I don't know. You're on your own, kid. <laughs> Imagine my shock when a Taylor Swift song title popped up on the computer screen. And despite really wanting to, I looked and I couldn't find the origin of that quote, you're on your own, kid. It seems to just be like a common English phrase. It was in a book um, in the 80s, but I feel like it was popular even before that. There were movies from way, way back mm. where versions of it were said. So I really wanted to know the origin, but alas. He is looking at you, kid. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like that. You're on your own, kid. You always have been. It sounds like something Indiana Jones would say. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah, it sounds very common. Yeah. Kind of does. So with this knowledge bestowed to him by the computer so kindly and graciously, Courage treks down to the basement and his flashlight illuminates the stairway and casts the shadow in, ironically, light. <laughs> and this evokes yet another That's Pretty Dark logo image of the yeah, monster in the darkness with the flashlight. Yeah, it does. I loved the sequence in the basement. It was pretty great. I'll start in the basement. Things I do for love. Hey, Shadow, are you down there? So Courage is scared senseless, and he takes a few moments to lie on the floor with his heart beating out of his chest, which is exactly how my panic attacks feel. <laughs> I know that feeling all too well, Courage, and I, I am so sorry. So... After slamming the door once more in trepidation, he marches or actually tumbles down into the basement okay. to save Mariel for real this time. But the shadow's not done with his tricks, appearing once again to courage in the basement. Okay, shadow, where's Muriel? And at first, courage just clicks off the flashlight. And I was kind of struck with the brilliance of that for a moment, like without light you have no shadows so there is no mm -hmm. shadow so there's no problem right yeah <laughs> but does the shadow still exist creeping around in the pitch darkness or did it need the light to be present i i don't know i don't know I don't like know. i said comfort doesn't last long he switches back on the flashlight and he watches in horror as shadow muriel silhouette snatches her own bloody both in the exclamatory and literal sense head off of her body muriel Pulls it right off, and the sound effect. God, the sound design is so just. Oh yeah, it's a bad sound effect. It's kind of what I wish I could do right now with my neck, the way that it feels. Um, hey, mine too. <laughs> but it's it's pretty dark. Yeah. But then there's another flip of the switch, and she's burning at the stake. This gets to the point where they really don't hold back. Nope. And then there are several more flashes where we see her threatened by all kinds of torture devices. There's a giant saw blade. Right. Um, she's being like drawn and quartered with just being pulled apart. A really terrible looking one where there's like this machine squishing her with giant spikes. Yes, yes. I don't yes, know what that's called, but I don't like, like it. Torture devices. I don't, I don't like it. There's like it an all. Iron Maiden bed of nails type thing. That's it. Yeah, kind of like that. And of course, there's the screwball. That right. Well, so it like. then, after all these torture devices, becomes sort of like a Rorschach test, like yeah. a flipbook <laughs> of random images, just random whatever. The it. the shadow just trying to keep up, right? At this point, because yeah. each time it's a flip on, a flip off, a flip on, a flip off. And the shadow is going with the flow. 
from the ghost. And then, like you said, there's screw and a, and a baseball, mm-hmm. screwball, I guess. Screwball. And then, of course, we get a cuckoo clock at the end. And all of these items have their sound effects, et cetera. Gotta have a Geppetto's yes. clock in there somewhere. Oh, yeah. So eventually, this absolutely exhausts the Shadow Man. Stop already! I can't take it anymore! On and off! On and off! You're driving me crazy! Encourage asks what he's done with Muriel. And Shadow Man says he hasn't done anything with Muriel. And on cue, we hear her up bebopping around upstairs <laughs> and a toilet, toilet flushing. flushing. <laughs> she was just in the bathroom, which what kid has not had that moment of where's mom? She's in the bathroom. And moms can tell you every time they yeah. go to the bathroom. They're needed urgently. They're needed immediately. And it be, it's a central theme, not only of this episode, but of the show. Sometimes we just imagine the worst case scenario. We're imagining that something terrible is happening when she was just in the bathroom. Yep. But Courage then asks the shadow, why are you scaring everyone to death? And the shadow, like in a literal play on a couch lying, chaise laying patient, and a note-taking psychologist. Well, I was the shadow of a cruel old rich dude. Yes, yes, go on. But that's not me. That's not me at all. I always wanted to be in showbiz, to be a star, baby, a star. Courage says, don't we all? That seems like a Dave Stephen Cohen kind of thing to me. It kind of does, doesn't it? (laughs) Just knowing his personality now, like having talked to him. So Courage has an idea and he takes the shadow out to the starry pasture, which is kind of one of the most peaceful looking moments we've ever seen in nowhere or ever do see. Again, no clouds. We had all the thunder thunder and all the lightning. It's still just a crisp, beautiful night in nowhere. And in a strangely poignant moment, he explains that while he doesn't know much about show business, he suggested the shadow could go and hang out with the real stars instead and kind of, you know, points up at the sky. I do like that. Never thought of that before. Sounds too romantic to me. But what the heck? It should have been scaring the jeepers out of folks. So they have this moment of, you know, courage helping the shadow to follow his dreams in some way, form or fashion. The shadow jumps up and bursts into stardust before our eyes. Perhaps a metaphor for a soul being freed and ascending to heaven. I don't know. Like Could be. Kind of you've you've resolved your time here and now you must go. But it's very John Dilworth too, either way, this whole sequence. Mm-hmm. So before he goes, he informs Courage that Eustace is hiding in the pickup truck. And in perhaps one of the most telling moments of the show, yeah. he tells Courage that Eustace is an even bigger coward than Courage is. I clocked that too. We know that hurt people hurt people and... We also know that scared people sometimes hurt people too. Mm -hmm. So we get a lovely shot of the giant moon overlooking the farmhouse before they put the button on the episode where Courage is in bed with Eustace and Muriel's shadow comes around the corner in her hair curlers asking (laughs) if everybody's ready for bed, which I don't quite understand because everybody was in bed at the beginning of the episode. Dude. Okay. I don't know the timeline here. I don't don't know. It's got to be shows like this that don't really care about like how long an episode or like an evening takes like right. the story's told either way right and you can't really place in time like something about a long evening is nice it's so pleasant and nice yeah i like it too <laughs> that's kind of why i don't mind in the winter months when it gets dark early because it feels like the night the evening because it feels longer. like you have a longer evening it's cozy and it's quiet and 
I don't know. No, I, I like it too. I don't know what that is. It's weird. Because we don't want to go to sleep. We don't want the actual nighttime yeah. to take over. We like when the evening is long because mm-hmm. it takes longer to get there. Yeah. But when Muriel comes around the corner in her curlers, Courage and Eustace are, are frightened by this, by her shadow on the wall with the curlers, etc. Now that's what I call scary. Know what I mean? Know what I mean? Know what I mean? Um... Just reinforcing that pesky patriarchal idea that not only are aging women gross, but women must simply be perfect without preparing or primping at all. Yeah. <laughs> I knew you were going to hesitate on that. And I can I can concede that in all likelihood, it's probably more of a nod to that moment that we all had as kids when our grandma scared us by like taking out our teeth or our mom came out of the bathroom wearing like cold cream or a face mask. Right. But still. There's a reason that Midge Maisel felt like she had to do her makeup and climb back in bed with Joel Maisel. Every morning. That is one of the funniest sequences, though. <laughs> yeah. Because then you see your mom doing the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Because this is passed uh, down generation to generation that the women just bend over backwards. Yeah. And poor Muriel isn't scary. She's just curling her hair. Damn it. But it's funny. It's like, why did she choose to do that now when she'd yeah, already I don't been know. in bed? She's had like a cap on. So, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe she was that. just like, I wasn't going to do it, but I'm still up. <laughs> it's been a long night. I might as well. I might as well. I'm not going to want to get up early and do it in the morning. I don't know. Maybe it's the that. number of times I've been like, well, I'm still awake and I'm not tired. I might as well just get that one thing done. That's true. To me, this is such a simple episode concept. Kind of like we said at the ending of The Page Master, if there's anything that represents that childlike fear, it's being afraid of the darkness of the night, the shadows climbing the walls. Yes. Just that idea that anything is possible in those moments. And It's just us or our minds and tricks of the light in most cases, but our nightmares can add a lot of backstory or a lot of imagination to those scenarios. Yep. And many of us probably have memories of exactly that. So I would say kudos on the relatability, but hopefully nobody else actually had a random man's spirit in the bedroom with them at night. But if you did, please email us at thatsprettydarkpodcast.gmail.com because we want to hear about it. This episode really hammers home with a rolling pin, the central theme this show will have, and Courage's bids for help will repeatedly fall on deaf ears, or worse, abusive and gaslighting ones. And as we've said time and time again, the real villains are the humans or other creatures, sometimes in this universe, who take no responsibility for their actions, have no compassion, and ultimately who thrive on the fear and discomfort of others. But if you break that down further, it so often has its roots in fear as well. So we've reached the scareometer. Yeah. Who wants Would to you? go first? <laughs> Neither <laughs> I, of us want to say. I can you go first because I didn't have. I'll show you mine. I didn't have um, a whole lot of uh, poignant thought to it. It's not a super scary episode because he wasn't a malevolent shadow to me. So I wasn't. I wasn't like take, taking away a whole bunch of fear. Right. So I would have given it kind of like a five. I also wrote down five because it's it's eerie. But the element of it that is alarming is that it could manipulate people's perception and make them think other people were doing things that they were not doing. Exactly. Yep. I gave it a five solely based on that misunderstanding, the potential for misunderstanding. Right. Because that can sometimes lead down really, really dark paths. Right. It has this whole like the thing like element to it. Where mm-hmm. like anybody could be the thing and no one really knows who's who. Right. Um, mistaken identity and that kind of kind of thing. Yeah. And like 
taking on taking on the yes, image of another image person, of somebody else. Yeah, it's pretty scary stuff. I've, I've had nightmares like that when like you couldn't trust the people you were talking to. Oh yeah. So not a super scary result, especially because you see where the shadow comes from. Right. You see what you see the origin, and you also yeah. see the final resting place too. Mm-hmm. So you you never really feel like it's this in, inexplicable. You, you don't know. feel like it could come for you necessarily. This one. Right. You have your own <laughs> at your house in your bed, but you don't feel like this one can come for you based on knowing the whole story. It isn't the kind of thing you think about when you're trying to fall asleep. No. It doesn't Mm-mm. come up later and you go, oh, that's it. That is scary. Now that the lights are off. Yeah. Because like you and I, we talk about it all the time. It just sort of is what it is. The hanging, the the wondering, the, you know, that uncertainty right. scares both of us. And it really, we didn't have it in this episode. It explains pretty much everything. Beyond just not being certain of if you can trust that the things you're seeing are actually happening. Yeah. Am I losing my mind? Like that's, <laughs> that's pretty spooky. It's like, is this actually happening? Are the walls actually, actually stretching? stretching? Scary stuff. I mean, I like your research though. I forget what it's called, but the whole like internal spirit and external spirit yeah. of the shadow. I mean, Shalombish, Shalombish. The Shalombish. Shalombish. That's pretty spooky. Yeah. I like that. I like that they had a reason for these things. You know, they gave, they gave answers that mm-hmm. they, the way they understood it to be. Every culture. All humans are the same, mm-hmm. no matter when we were born. Yep. We all experience the same exact thing and we all have our own explanations and our explanations are eerily similar. Mm-hmm. I always ask this question, is it because that's just our human perception? That's just, that's the animal, the human animal. That's how we perceive things that we can't explain. And so that's why it's all similar. Or are there these things across the planet that are sentient, mm-hmm. that do that are, live- That are doing it to us Yeah, and that's what yeah. we're experiencing because like, <laughs> that's what that entity, not, it's not because we're just human, it's because that entity is that entity. Is there, yeah. Right. I don't know. That's the, that's the real question. That is the real question that we will leave off with for the Shadow of Courage. Wow. Yeah. Okay, well, let's just take a quick break. And let's build a bridge on over to uh, the second yeah, half. let's go. Coming to your ears next. LeQuack. <laughs> on That's Pretty Dark. On That's Pretty Dark. <laughs> Sounds want, so much like a radio DJ. I want to do like a, <laughs> like a bumper. Like I want to think yeah, of like a yeah, stupid, like a silly That's Pretty Dark bumper where we like. I like that idea of, I love bumpers in general. I think they're so fun because they, you hear them so often. Mm-hmm. Like the ones from Disney Channel. Yeah. In that certain era of time. You're listening to That's Pretty oh, Dark. You're watching Disney Channel. We'll be back after these messages. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> LeQuack, his voice is one of the villain voices that has stuck with me, much like Cats. <laughs> yes. It has stuck with me all my life. Mm-hmm. Well, it's because it's the same uh, voice actor. Yeah. Paul Scheffler. This guy just knew what he was doing. <laughs> He's really good. My favorite part is when he's like, où est le patient? <laughs> Which is just, where is the patient? <laughs> French. Yes. But we'll get to it. We'll get to We're it. getting ahead of ourselves. Oh, man. Okay. So, like we said, season one, episode two, this is 2B. 2B. 2B or not to be. <laughs> Definitely 2B. I didn't call it uh, 2A, but I should have. There was no IMDB summary for this episode. No so way. I pulled from the fandom wiki. Okay. Summary. I was going to say, did you have to write one? Were you forced? Well, I did write one, mm. but. Showing me up. Yeah, I beat you. Muriel suffers amnesia, and Courage calls in the help of Dr. Lequack, a French duck, impersonating a doctor. Everything you read hits the whole French duck. French. French. He's, he's not it's just a duck. It's important that he's French. I mean, he's, he's not important. <laughs> he's just French. Like, he's just a duck. But whatever. 
Like if he was just a normal American duck, they wouldn't be like an American, an American duck, duck impersonating no. a doctor. No. <laughs> anyway, he's also, guys, he's also a white duck. It's true. <laughs> so my summary that I came up with, because I wanted to show you up, when Eustace accidentally gives Muriel amnesia and then very intentionally attempts to make her his slave. Yeah. Courage searches online for the help of an amnesia specialist only to attract the attention of a flim flaming duck named Laquack, who impersonates a doctor <laughs> by taking Muriel as his patient in a pernicious scheme to learn the whereabouts of her valuables. I would like to think that the writers, as they discussed this concept for an episode, yeah. they were like, what if some quack comes in and pretends to be an amnesia specialist? Don't steal my thunder. <laughs> you're taking off. You're taking away like three pages of my notes by just oh, that I'm one sorry. statement alone right oh, there. I'm just saying I didn't get it as a kid, but it was the first thing I thought. <laughs> what you know, if Muriel is sick and some quack shows up and gives bad advice? Right. And then they were like, well, why not? Make you're probably it right, though. You're probably right that that's like where the concept came from. It feels that way. But to me. speaking of getting ahead of ourselves. Eustace is repairing the roof at the break of dawn, uh, hammering and making so much noise that Muriel tells him to stop or he'll wake the neighbors. <laughs> we ain't got no neighbors. We ain't got no neighbors. We don't have any. And a loose board flies free and knocks Muriel in the head, after which she can't remember a gosh darn thing. Encourage is understandably concerned, but Eustace, ever the opportunist, seizes the chance to make Muriel his slave, Ugh. telling her that her job is to pretty much do all the things that she already does. Your job is cleaning, cooking, shopping, laundry, and anything else I can think of. Now get me dinner. Get me dinner, even though it's like five in the morning. But yeah, I think you're right. I think she's already doing all this stuff, but maybe sure he, he just does wants to things. crack the whip and feel like he's in control. Yeah. Even though he's already basically being waited on hand and foot. I don't know. Yeah, he never does anything. He never lifts a finger no. except to flick courage with. Or strangle him. Or strangle him. It takes a few fingers for I that. I do remember Muriel saying, oh, my head. like the way that she said it, just like in confusion, I guess. Like, I don't understand. Why does my head hurt? Like that. Yeah. Uh, and I remember yeah. that as a kid too. I don't know why, but mm -hmm. oh, I didn't like it. It was it was unsettling to me. It was pretty unsettling. I th I'm pretty sure this gave me some fear of like my mom forgetting who I am. Yes, me too. Like the thought of somebody just not remembering anything or not knowing who they are, or what their role is in the house. It's like, wait, what? You mean this could change? Exactly. The fact that that isn't a given, you know, I had had a little bit of exposure to like Alzheimer's or dementia. Yeah. At the time, mm -hmm. maybe not quite this young, but as I got a little bit older, my great grandparents and then my grandparents experienced Alzheimer's dementia. So that idea that they're forgetting who they are, they're forgetting Forgetful. who you are. Yeah. And it scared me so much because I saw it with my own eyes. It's really so hard. So then to see this, it's still it's hard as a as a grown person to go through that and to just daily experience that. Um, mm -hmm. both the person with the disease and the caregivers, et cetera. It's just horrible so heart goes out to you if you have cared for somebody with an illness like this yeah but it's rough. seeing it on courage the cowardly dog may have been one of my earlier like you said kind of coming to understand that those things could be taken away 
or just few so, yeah, things like, that you count on as certain, like your mom's going to know who you are. Some certainty, some fixture of your existence yes. could change forever. Exactly. Without warning. And I don't so, like yeah, it. It's a bit haunting. <laughs> I don't like it at and all. And I'll probably, I don't know if this will ever come up again, but like, I don't know what my grandfather had. It wasn't Alzheimer's, but it was like he became forgetful. He couldn't remember really anybody in the in the family. Mm-hmm. But what he did remember was when I was born. And he asked for me by name Whoa. after I was born. Whoa. And so I feel very special. We also got another joke referencing back to the Shadow of Courage. We got another... Oh, there's something wrong here. Or my name is Jose Santos de Guatemala. And it's not. <laughs> and it's not. <laughs> I'm glad you wrote that down. Pretty much the exact like polar opposite of Shirley. But... Um, and speaking of things like that, there's the wedding photo. And I know that we established that the show aesthetic was not inspired by American Gothic. Dilworth himself said, no, I didn't really think about that. More Dorothea Lange. Yeah, but their wedding photo is totally It is totally American Gothic, right American there. Gothic. The pitchfork and everything. Yep. So anyway, I had to point that out. I know. But like we're saying, Muriel doesn't remember anything. And seeing as how she's never seen courage before in her life, <laughs> uh, Eustace takes this opportunity to get courage out of the house. But- Courage sneaks back inside by way of a conveniently manifested tree uh, to search for an amnesia specialist online. And the plea is seen by a French duck, French, a French duck, oh, French white duck, <laughs> named Lequack who decides to pose as an amnesia specialist to trick the sick woman into giving him her valuables. This sounds like an easy score. And throughout this episode, he calls them like silverware, Mm -hmm. family jewels, her piggy bank. But we like we see this predatory thing all the time on elderly people or people that might not be so savvy to understand the scam. Mm -hmm. More so probably now than even back then. This, this is a thing. I feel like there was something recently, like a caretaker or somebody, a woman was taking care of an elderly woman and she ended up stealing a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. Oh, that happens. Pretty common. Happens all the time. LeQuack's office is full of things he's stolen. I think we can safely say he's stolen these things. Mm-hmm. Sacks of cash, uh, priceless art, fur coats, gold bars, a safe yeah. full of jewels, a boat with the name S.S. Dill. <laughs> And of course, the massive diamond he's inspecting with his jeweler's loop. Do you really need Muriel's stuff, Lequack? No, he's got plenty of things. It just never ends once you start something like that. Once you pop, you just can't stop. Give me more. It also looks like he's got three little yellow pills on his desk, but they could just be coins, like I gold coins. I thought don't they really were know. coins, but who knows? He's pretending to be a doctor, so. Well, he's only a doctor sometimes. He's not always a doctor. Not always. Yeah, we'll find that out. As we said, Quack is voiced by Paul Scheffler, and he is the secondary antagonist of the whole series, uh, second only to Cats, really. Mm-hmm. And I got, I pulled some quotes from the fandom wiki because I thought they were just too good not to share. Quack is skilled and decisive. His manipulative tendencies are especially harmful when coupled with his devious intellect and psychological persuasion. Mm. Like most of the antagonists in the series, he is much stronger than he appears to be. As a con artist, he bears many faces, each with an insurmountable lust for monetary gain. Mm -hmm. To get what he wants, he will use whomever he may and subject the rest to his disturbing and rather unorthodox methods of torture. His containment is short-lived, 
as he is able to free himself from any prison and leave it in waste behind him. And his weapon of choice is typically a large mallet. Mm -hmm. Uh, Blunt force trauma is just one of the most brutal ways to hurt someone. He doesn't like the way an interaction is going? Mallet. Mallet Mallet to the face. Yup. And there was one additional description uh, from the fandom wiki, and they called him the malevolent mallard. (laughs) I had to write that down. It's my new favorite thing. That is good. Like I said, he doesn't always pose as a doctor, but there's a very good reason for why when we first meet him, we are introduced to Dr. Lequack and also why his character is a duck. And this is because another name for a fake doctor is a quack. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I had to look into this. And I found some really interesting things that I never knew before, and now I'm really glad I know them. I'm so curious. You know, listeners, you and listeners alike know that I have more than my fair share of medical trauma. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm all about this. Get ready. Take a deep breath, Kaylin. Just relax a little bit. <laughs> I found a Mental Floss article, and they describe a quack as someone peddling fake cures and or pretending to have medical skills they don't actually possess. And I learned here that quack is a shortening of the old Dutch word quacksalver, which originally meant a person who treated illness using homemade remedies. Whoa. Yeah. And older variations of the term meant similar things, uh, but all pointing to someone who would either like sell you their own homemade salves or ointments, or at least brag to you about how many people they'd cured with their own homemade salves and ointments. And eventually, it was used to mean a person who treated illness with false cures or one who possessed false knowledge. Mm -hmm. And there's an interesting side note. There's no recorded connection between quacksalver and quicksilver. Mm. And quicksilver is a heavy metal that was sometimes slipped into counterfeit medications. See, that's where my head went right away when you said it. If you use quicksilver, you are quacksalver. (laughs) But they these have two different etymological origins. Crazy. So it's just a happy coincidence or an unhappy coincidence, however you want to look at it. Seems more unhappy in this case. The earliest recorded use of the term quack in reference to a medical imposter is in Francis Quarles' 1638 book, Hieroglyphics of the Life of a Man. Quack, leave thy trade. Thy dealings are not right. Thou takest our weighty gold to give us light. Oh, I want to. I want to use that. I want to say that to the next doctor that I don't trust. <laughs> you quack. That was sixteen thirty-eight. But regardless of how far back the word itself goes, the scheme is a con as old as time. Mm-hmm. I found another article uh, from the Science History Institute, and the article is "Quacks, Plagues, and Pandemics." And this just goes back to the Black Plague. It's absolutely fascinating. I highly recommend looking this up. You and I have both had dealings with our Black Plague history on and off, Mm. just Mm. going back to it, learning so much. Connecting so many of our episodes, the research for so many of our episodes Mm -hmm. are just like. Because it's a watershed moment in human history, you know? Like. It changed the course of human history, that's for sure. It left its mark. This article focuses on the plague because pretty much anybody with the financial means to get out of the cities and go live in isolation did so. And that meant many of the most prominent doctors. So the masses of sick people left behind often turned to quacks in hopes of medical cures. Mm -hmm. So quacks flourish in times of epidemic and pandemic because people are so desperate for answers. The desperation. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes even the licensed medical professionals don't 
have the answers. And that's not a slight against those people. It's just that when things like bubonic plague or Spanish flu or COVID-19 pop up, Mm -hmm. it takes a great deal of medical ingenuity to figure out a treatment, let alone a cure. Yeah. It takes time. It does. But if there's one thing that really, really sick people don't have, it's It's time. time. And if there's one thing really scared or suffering people don't have, it's patience. So this is the sort of Petri dish in which quack salvers thrive. I'm just, I love that whole paragraph. (laughs) Here, here. (laughs) Thanks. So this article describes quack salver as a seller of nostrums, which are medical cures of dubious and secretive origins. It also likens nostrums with over-the-counter medicines uh, of modern day um, and says that like quacks would hawk their wares with attention-grabbing voices that really puts the quack in quack salver. (laughs) Quack, Um, buy my stuff. Quack, buy mine. Quack, quack. It's a happy coincidence that quack is in this word, but one of the other origins in in the old Dutch of quacken did mean to like quack or croak loudly or Mm -hmm. to like call out or cry. Okay. So it it basically is like, you know, you could be like um, a salve crier, Mm -hmm. a salve caller. Get you know, your step hot dogs right here. Up, come and get it. Get your- <laughs> come get yourselves. Yeah. Come get your ointments. <laughs> anyway. It's making too much sense, mm-hmm. in fact. There are also a few really fun phrases used in this article to describe quacks that I had to write down. Because I love this like old world medicinal alchemy. You do, I love yeah. it. I've researched this stuff before for other things I've written. Mm-hmm. Like just the, the magic of it all. Absolutely. Because alchemy was the blending of like science, medicine, and magic all into one. Yeah. Um, and we wouldn't have modern medicine without the alchemists of the old of the old days. Mm-mm. So some of these phrases are unregulated practitioners, tonic peddlers, unlicensed chemists, unlettered chemists, shifting and outcast pettifoggers, stage players, prattle prattling barbers, and charlatans. (laughs) Every time there was a different like phrase to describe them, I wrote it down. Uh, It's a good article. Different remedies in plague time might include a toxic herb called hellebore that causes excessive sweating. Oh. Which I have to say sounds hella boring. Hellebore. Uh, it's a hella bore, but I feel like it wouldn't be a bore if you were uh, afflicted by it. No, prob- probably not. I was just going for the for the humor. Bit of bit of levity. <laughs> bit of medical levity there, folks. <clears throat> this is the content you came here for today. Um, some might include theriac, which is another toxic remedy consisting of garlic, vinegar, onions. And sounds pretty yummy, if you ask yeah, me. Yeah, that sounds just um, like a stew. Mm, delicious. But there's rue, which is slightly toxic, but also has ancient medicinal and culinary uses. But then there's also the flesh of a viper, oh. which is the part that probably might kill you. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And then back in 1918... Spanish flu quacks sold Foley's honey and tar cough remedy, Riley's 24-hour flu insurance, Hill's cascara bromide quinine, and eucopine salve, which was, quoting, a toxic mix of eucalyptus and camphor that patients were instructed to snort and swallow to sterilize themselves internally. These things are not sounding unfamiliar. That's what's crazy. And I think... Some of it was rooted in truth and like proven, you know, help Mm -hmm. or assistance in some way. Or like some things are beneficial 
for things, but they were used as like cure-alls. Exactly. Like it might be beneficial for one thing, but it's not going to cure like cerebral palsy. What's, yeah, no, for sure. Totally. You know, yeah. Like what's the, um, there's like a, like a Victorian joke cure all snake snake oil oil snake oil, oil. that's what that was like people always like and yeah they, it's just snake oil now in modern day it's like okay or is it real or are they a snake oil salesman like right snake oil yeah trying then to there's differentiate also like, which it, it it does suck because it makes it really difficult for people that are suffering like you said they don't have time and they're desperate for help mm-hmm. and it makes it really difficult to know what's real <laughs> and what's going to help <laughs> meanwhile these other folks some of them just want to make a buck like it's just Oh, they're so, just trying to make money off of you. Yeah. It's so oh the predatory predatory medical mm. anything yeah. couldn't make me more angry. But this is all old world stuff, right? This doesn't apply to today hmm. where we have everything figured out and all yeah. the questions are answered. Okay. Okay. So we have our modern day pandemic, COVID nineteen. Yep. And we hate to keep bringing this up, but I mean it's the most recent thing in modern history that we can relate to as uh, a worldwide trauma. Mm-hmm. So It's going to keep coming up. And this article says that between January and August 2020, the FDA issued more than 100 warning letters to companies making false claims that their product could cure or protect against COVID. Oh my gosh. They describe these products as ranging from essential oils and supplements to home diagnostic kits. Yeah. (laughs) And let's not forget how... I know what you're going to say. President of these great United States told everybody to take chloroquine mm-hmm. and hydroxychloroquine. Yeah. Chloroquine? Chloroquine? Chloroquine, I think. These are anti-malarial drugs that did nothing but subject people to some super dangerous side effects. Yeah. And I heard about this at the time, but I did not really do my research or put it together. And I'm super glad I know because it's hilarious. There was a marked comparison between this and the Spanish flu. When people saw similarities between the influenza symptoms mm-hmm. and the malaria symptoms right. that people were suffering from all the time, which they still are. That's true. So they started taking medicines made with quinine mm-hmm. because quinine was uh, it had been used to treat malaria for centuries. So they said, oh, well, I have a fever when I have this illness, so I'll just apply the same logic. And I wish that it worked like that. It doesn't. <laughs> no, because malaria is a parasitic infection. Yes. And substances like quinine and chloroquine are Mm anti-parasitic. That's why it works for that. Right. Things like influenza and coronavirus are viral infections. Right. But you know what they say, folks? Hindsight's 2020. (laughs) (laughs) There are so many different soapboxes that I want to get on. I just can't even choose between them. Clean soaps and like... Scented soaps. Antibacterial, bacterial, whatever. Well, that's exactly where I was going to (laughs) go. However, I can't throw too much shade to the historical misunderstandings of quinine because its misuse by British colonists in India is what invented the gin and tonic. <laughs> because because tonic water you would find that loophole. Because tonic water has quinine in it. <laughs> so the colonists were treating malaria by drinking copious amounts of tonic water. Whoops. For the quinine. Wow. But the taste is so bitter. That they started cutting it with gin. There you go. And that invented the gin. Man, how bitter does the tonic have to be to want to cut it with gin? Well, when Laquack arrives, (laughs) 
it's so it's just so jarring to go from like such serious research into history and like to slapstick cartoon ducks <laughs> like yes. a duck name look, look whack well he shows he shows Eustace his business card yeah he does I, and, didn't, uh, I didn't write any of that down on yeah. his business card it says look whack amnesia specialist in parentheses don't call <laughs> don't call but there's no number can anyway. i put that on my business card <laughs> yeah don't oh, call like, hard. that's pretty dark i don't want you to call business card should say don't call but I will say the horror of this, right? Courage has gone to the to cyberspace once again looking for help, assistance, some sort of like life preserver in this situation. Yeah. The horror that stuck with me from this show as a whole is that even when you call for help, the help makes things so much worse. It can. And I internalized that yeah. in ways I definitely shouldn't have. <laughs> they were sort of predicting the future of how much misinformation would be on the internet. Yeah, kind of. Stranger danger. Stranger danger. But yeah, when Lequack arrives, he incapacitates Eustace by knocking him in the head with a giant mallet. Bunk. And stuffing him in the closet. And now he's got Muriel all to himself, yeah. and she's playing a sitar, <laughs> which we learned from Jody Gray in our, inter- our hangout with him, our interview, mm-hmm. that the sitar was actually played by Linda Siminski. Yeah, so great. She's one of the like studio executives from Cartoon Network. Mm-hmm. So Muriel forgot everything, including her husband and beloved dog companion, but mm. she remembers how to play the sitar. Did Man. she know how to play the sitar before the head injury is my question. <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> Who's to say? No, we don't know everything that Muriel has up her sleeves. But if you were going to remember anything, it would probably be how to like play your instrument. I guess. That's true. Because music, you know, like art, it like well, transcends It transcends and, space and it's also, and a lot of that has to do with like the... um Areas of the brain where things are coded and stored. Mm-hmm. All yeah. of that stuff fascinates me. So how Lequack intends to swindle Muriel out of her valuables is by subjecting her to various types of torture. Yeah. Not without its humor, of course. He ties her up and tickles her foot with a large feather. He makes her smell a block of stinky cheese. Mm-hmm. He uses a toy train to uh, d- deliver pies that smash <laughs> her in the face. It's the, it's the classic... I guess it's from like Westerns, the woman on the train tracks, help, help. And yeah. she's tied up, mm-hmm. you know, on the train tracks. Yep. That's in, it's in a ton of like Looney Tunes also. Absolutely. I think that's why I know it, but yeah, you know, it's a trope of that time. Blended with like the clown humor of throwing pies in people's faces. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is all made even sillier by the reality that Muriel can't remember anything. So she doesn't even know why he's torturing her. <laughs> Like, That's a good point. He also speaks with a heavy French accent, and the joke has already been made that Eustace couldn't understand him. Yes. So Muriel probably can't either. <laughs> so he's just walking around being like, where is your silverware? Where are your family jewels? Where is your piggy bank? And she's like, not even responding, because to her, he's just speaking duck. Yeah. You know, like he's just an animal. Yeah. But of course, courage is always there to thwart Lequack's evil plans. He distracts him. Blows him away with a giant fan. He rigs explosives to the toy train set and even pays off a giant mouse to eat the cheese. Yeah, the stinky Mr. cheese. Mr. Mouse comes Punch the quack in the face. Out of nowhere. and comes in clutch. Yeah, and apparently his name is Charlie the Mouse. He's voiced by Tom McCohen. Nice. Yeah. Thanks, Charlie. No problem. Encourage also during all of this manages to email the police at one point. Mm-hmm. Emailing them, not calling them. A madman in your house. How horrible. You poor thing. What do you want from us? They make no certain promises that they'll arrive anytime soon. Never do. Yeah. You're on your own, kid. So, Lequack knocks Muriel out with his mallet. 
and then tries to suck courage up in his vacuum. Not a Kirby, but a Dilvac. I wrote down the same thing. I thought you might. <laughs> and this vacuum sucks up basically everything but courage, causing it to explode. And by everything, I mean his... <laughs> every, by everything, I mean everything hidden in his puppy pockets. Mm-hmm. An accordion, an anchor, a soccer ball. We know Courage has always got some tricks up his sleeves. Pants? I don't... Yeah, we don't... It's In his pants? Mm. Speaking of, even his pants come off. Yeah. Which is the fur from his waist down. To reveal underwear. Yeah. Yeah. And this is another, like, clearly visual reference to classic cartoons. Yes. I think this happened in Looney Tunes, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. But I go to Tom and Jerry. Because Tom would often lose his fur he as would. though it's clothing. Yes. Leaving nothing but his skin and his like usually striped boxers. And there's often like a hidden tattoo. Yes. On his arm. Okay. That is definitely ringing bells. Like yep. a mom tattoo or something. Mm-hmm. Heart with an arrow. But right on cue, the police arrive arresting Laquack. And they lock him up in the back of their police van. The license plate says worth. I saw that too. Yeah. And the button at the end of this episode is perhaps Lequack's most frightening quality. His ability to escape any and every sort of containment. Mm-hmm. We see the police car, like, flipped over, destroyed, smoking. It's very Hannibal Lecter. I'm telling you this, I did not like it as a child. I w- Very violent. I've told everybody multiple, many times that car accidents are and were one of my mm-hmm. triggering greatest fears. Yep, same. And it seems as though Lequack caused this, obviously. For sure. In order to escape. And now For he's sure. bebopping down the side of the road in a police uniform that he's stolen from injured or dead police officers. Probably dead police officers. That's pretty dark. Mm-hmm. You have not seen the last of Le Quack. But the tables have turned at home. Yes. And the second bung on the head cured Muriel's amnesia, which has seemed to jump heads to Eustace's head. <laughs> well, Eustace just never recovered from his initial run-in. Right. But I don't like that even when you feel like the threat's over, right? Like the Quack has been arrested you can go back to life as normal in nowhere. Like Take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Courage still has to confront the reality that Muriel might be forever changed. She may still not know who he is. That moment just skeeved me out because he has to kind of approach her and be like, do you know who I am? Oh, sure. And luckily she did. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I just that uncertainty is also very unsettling for or was very unsettling for my baby Kaylin brain. I'm glad they didn't just end it with this like. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, she's just playing on her sitar. <laughs> That's, That's the, the end. end. That's yeah. all, folks. It's kind of how it ends for Eustace, though. They leave him. They yeah, leave him but in the closet. I think courage. I think courage knows that all he has to do is just give him a good whack, which I'm sure he can't wait to do. <laughs> He'll fix the problem. Personally, I couldn't believe that Eustace said he wanted to make Muriel his slave. Like, you're my slave woman. That's what he tells her. I know. Oh, my God. Maybe Yikes. that's the connection between this one and uh, Shadow of Courage. Mm. Anything can be bought, even people. Anything Is can that be what bought, the guy says? People. Yeah. It's wild stuff. It's horrible. So I'm also not a doctor, as I've been saying. Hey, guys, Christian's not a doctor. Not even close. Don't even like to go to the doctor. <laughs> I don't even like the doctor I have currently. I, mean, I don't either. Ugh. But after researching different types of amnesia, Muriel probably had traumatic amnesia, Mm -hmm. which can result from a hard blow to the head and is usually temporary. Thankfully. We may think all this is silly or not even possible. I don't. But people pretend to be doctors every single day. All the time. There's a so-called doctor named Stephen Gavorkian who was just charged in April of this year 
for treating thousands of patients without a medical license in Los Angeles. Whoa. And the quote that all the articles have say he treated, or his company treated serious diseases such as cancer. Yikes. I just wish, I wish, this is just, this is just Kaylin from That's Pretty Dark podcast <laughs> tossing her wishes out on the wish radio. You're in your, uh, your fairy ring? Yeah, I'm in my fairy ring. I'm in my fairy ring. And I just wish, I wish. that people that needed help could get the help they need. Yeah. I wish for treatments that are successful. I wish for things that don't cause a million crazy side effects. Mm-hmm. And I wish even more that there would be less people that are predatory in a system seeking to harm or take advantage of the most in need of help. The most vulnerable. Yeah. The most vulnerable. Ooh. No quacks around here, please. I've quack, quack. met enough of them in my life. You don't need no le quack. Just ducks. I like ducks. Ducks are fine, <laughs> but no malevolent mallards. <laughs> and don't even get me started on geese. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You know what time it is. Scarometer. Scarometer time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the pressure's on for this one. I feel like it's a little bit complex for me because the underlying theme is very scary. Yeah. But the episode itself didn't really is not sell that it's to me. It's not a horror-themed so, episode. Yeah. Some of them are like overtly scary. Like they're supposed to be scary, like Shadow of Courage. Right. Right. And this one's more of just like the concept behind it is like, ew. Yeah, the concept behind it is something that haunts me regularly, so Mm -hmm. it's really tricky in in terms of a scareometer. So for the concept itself, I would give it like an eight, but for the episode, I have to go like four. (laughs) So we're splitting (laughs) I'm splitting it because it was more more slapstick and Looney Tunes than it was underlying. Yeah. You know, we talked all about it, about the just the, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the quacks out there. And the the predatory nature of some medical situations or pseudo medical situations. And yeah, it's it's so it's like kind of the opposite of shadow because shadow I would say like conceptually is not very scary, but then like the imagery and the visual like visuals and everything like what happens that's scary. Yes, actually, but yeah, it's this like one, an inverse. The episode isn't. It's scary. a shadow, if yeah. you will. Of <laughs> oh yeah, shadow. I think you're right. I think you're definitely right about that. I think I'm on the same track. I was going to give this on the whole like maybe a four. Okay. Wow. Nailed it again. I mean, yeah, but then the yeah the doctor element is is quite quite scary yeah well there you have it folks <laughs> you know the most recent <laughs> i forget the name of it the most recent thing well there are actually two people were taking the uh ozempic right for yes. weight loss mm-hmm. and it's a, di- diabetes. it's a diabetes drug yeah and it's like i think it caused a national shortage it did for people that are diabetic and for people who actually need it yes yeah but then there's the ads i got they stopped now to cure my introversion <laughs> oh i get those too first of all rude Second, introversion is not a sickness to be cured. No. <laughs> it's not a disorder to be treated, and it's not a character flaw. Maybe we need the extroverts to just leave us alone for a second. <laughs> There's no ads telling extroverts how to do that. It's the extroverts who don't trust the introverts, but we're not plotting. We're not scheming. We're reading books. We're baking cookies. We're watching movies. And making That's Pretty Dark podcast for you And guys. making That's Pretty Dark podcast. Wow. But that's all I've got. Rantin' Raven. <laughs> Rootin' tootin', rantin' and Raven. We do want to say thank you so much to our new patron, Erica C. What up, Erica? Thank you so much for uh, supporting us. We appreciate you thank and you. all of our fine and friendly mm-hmm. and wonderful patrons over on our Patreon. You too can be one of those patrons if you would like yes. by going to uh, patreon.com slash TPD podcast. And even if you don't have $5 a month to give, 
just listening is enough. Oh, it and is. We appreciate it. Telling so people much. about it and giving us like a five star review and also a couple nice words. Yeah. You can also find us on social media. Uh, that's pretty dark podcast. Really anywhere, or send us an email at that's pretty dark podcast at gmail.com. That's pretty dark on TikTok. We'd love to hear from you. We would. <laughs> You're, if you have medical trauma, hey, I will listen to you vent and we will just understand each other because it is so isolating at the end of the day. I would make a joke about us healthy people. Yeah. Um, but I'm in, I've been like, my body's falling apart this week. Like, <laughs> what am I missing? What vitamins am I not getting? Like, what is it that I am just like, <laughs> I need? What? do i need maybe i'll google it maybe i'll ask the internet what i need yeah that's a good I'll idea i'll see if there's some hope you don't some have quack. a little quack show up at your door where is the idiot <laughs> Ooh, <they> idiot <laughs> Ooh, they idiot. <laughs> until next time guys have a great day week month we'll see you soon get out of here go live your life <laughs> thanks for listening to that's pretty dark written and produced by christian baxter mott and kaylin andrews Our music is composed by Jonathan Simmons, and our art is provided by Paige Garland at Power Girl Illustration. Join the collective nostalgia and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at That's Pretty Dark Podcast. Share your experiences and let us know what shows, films, or villains still haunt you from childhood at That's Pretty Dark Podcast at gmail.com. Remember, you're never really alone. So until next time, sweet dreams, everyone.